You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. So glad that we get to have these few minutes once a week. We are right now in the throes of the John Bible study, and I feel like I get to actually see so many of you in this season, which is just a blast. And hear how, you know, for some of you guys, it's on your morning commute that I'm joining you, or some of you guys on a walk, but it's always just so great to hear from the gals that are listening that I feel like I get to talk to here in the closet, but we don't obviously, you know, get to see each other face to face very often. So I love those moments when I get to hear from you guys and or, or see you in passing or whatever, uh, wherever you're at. So love that. So glad you guys are here. For those of you guys who are joining us in the John study, man, it's been so great. It's been so amazing to see so many just wanting to jump into God's word and really study it. Um, boy, it's it's not fluff, is it? Nope, nope. We're, we are really digging in. And I just love that you ladies are just really here for it. So it's it's been great. Well, today I want to talk about being offended. Yeah, I want to talk about being offended. Does it not seem that everybody seems to be offended all the time? I mean, we're, we're just all up in arms about things. And it, it could be a small thing. Maybe some of them are kind of big things. But nevertheless, we're, we're still just have this tendency to be really quick to be offended. So I, I've been kind of, I don't know, just I've this has been marinating on me a little bit. And so I always just want to take us back to the word and go, man, what does it look like biblically about what we should be offended by, what we shouldn't be offended by, you know, all of these things biblically, what should our biblical worldview look like as it really impacts daily, how we conduct ourselves, how we interact with our friends and um, colleagues at work or people we're in school with or our kids, our families. How does the Bible inform these even little details? Because it does. It really does. And as I started to think about the things that we're offended by, let's first talk about what do we mean by offended? I think we kind of know, but if we want to go to our dictionary definition, it's, it's kind of basically anything that is displeasing. You know, that's kind of, it's almost like synonymous with something that is displeasing. I feel like today, even it's taken on a little bit more of a, I don't know, just a little more of a virulent form of it, if you will. I mean, being offended just seems to be something that is very rampant. But as I think about the things that we're offended by, I ask myself, you know, what are the things that offend me? And you can be silly about these things, right? Like some of them serious, not so serious. I, you know, if we're going to go what offends me or what bothers me in a day, I can think of like, I think when people are really inconsiderate, you know, if you're if you're driving and somebody just cuts you off and just seems to be really inconsiderate and, you know, not not even thinking that there's anybody else in the universe but them, you know. Now, keep in mind, that person is probably going through all kinds of things that I know nothing about. But it's my tendency, my flesh to kind of react and be like, I, how could you? You know, I'm offended by how you're driving. I'm offended by how you're acting. It's kind of a silly one. A more serious one, perhaps, is probably something that is the most offensive to me personally is when I hear, see, read in any way dishonesty. Things that are dishonest where they just are clearly going against the truth of what they know or maybe just denying truth altogether. 
is definitely offensive to me. That is something that I just I just can't handle it. And the question is, is then what do I do with that offense? You know, and, and we'll talk about a couple of scriptures that I think can help us with what we do when maybe it is something we should be offended by and maybe something we shouldn't. But what is what does scripture tell us to do with that offense? So there's a couple things that maybe offend me a bit, but what offends culture right now? Oh, goodness. This is one where I think we could rattle off quite a few, couldn't we? I think when I think of that, culture is definitely offended by intolerance, aren't they? If you are not tolerant of whatever the thing of the day is, you're a hater, you are, you know, you're racist, homophobe, whatever they whatever label they want to put on you, but they cannot handle any level of intolerance. Now, this is a little kind of, again, you got to get to the crux of what is this word that they're even talking about with intolerance, because you'll notice that usually if they're saying that you can't be intolerant or rather intolerance is not allowed unless you're sticking to, it would seem, Christian values or something that upholds to some truths and some absolutes, which I think we'll get to that next on our list of what offends culture then they don't tolerate you. Like, absolutely not. That is not okay. But everybody else, man, we just need to, we just need to welcome and not only just be okay with everybody's behavior and actions, but you actually need to affirm it and you need to celebrate it regardless, because that's their truth, right? Have you heard that one? That's their truth, which that doesn't exist. There isn't a their truth. There is a truth. So I think that takes us to the next thing on the list of, you know, what offends culture. And I think just truth offends culture, flat out truth offends culture or any kind of absolute, if if you will, to have the idea. And this is why I think there is so much um, hatred towards Christians, generally speaking, in culture, because we adhere to an absolute truth that there is one way to heaven. There is one Jesus. There is one God that by whom all men can be saved. We, we believe things like that. There's a whole lot of other absolute truths that scripture upholds as well. That's just an example of one. But we stick to those things. And man, we dig our heels in about these absolute truths. And culture, that is highly offensive to them, highly offensive to them that we would do that. To say there is truth is just offensive. So how about how about another one? How about injustice? Injustice is very offensive to culture right now, very offensive to the world. Now, this one's a tricky one, right? Because as Christians, we don't celebrate injustice. No, not at all. And in fact, you know, scripture would say that we want to lift up those that are poor and needy and those that are oppressed. We want to do that. Scripture gives us as individuals a charge to do that. So we care about justice, but the the way in which culture is offended by injustice as they see it. Now, keep in mind, they're likely, for the most part, putting injustice through the lens that's not through scripture. That's not through any of those absolutes or a, a truth and a God. Nope, that that's not part of their equation. So they just are offended by anything that isn't fair, right? I mean, that ever, everything's got to be fair. It's got to be fair. If, and, and we all fall into that, don't we? I mean, man, if, if we've got kids, we sit here and think, okay, we want to make sure each one is given exactly the right amount at Christmas time. And, you know, we don't want to show favoritism or anything like that. We totally, you know, play these games. We want everything to be fair. And this fair culture has gone way too far, right? You know, it's turned into the everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a blue ribbon because we have to be fair. <laughs> and, in, and in so doing, I think we've basically 
evened the scale so much that we've taken away excellence even a little bit. It's okay to fail. Man, we should definitely be working on that with our kids more in our, you know, those around us. It's okay, even with ourselves. It's okay to fail. But that would be observed as an injustice. No, it's got to be fair. We all it's all got to be equal and fair. So those are some things I think that definitely offend culture. You know, they they don't want to have anything to do with absolutes. Injustice is definitely something that is offensive to culture. So we're left in this environment where everybody just feels like they're all up in arms so quickly. And I want to look at a couple of scriptures on this. And then I want to look at things that that God things that offend God. And then I want to look at how what the response is to that offense a little bit. So there's going to be quite a few scriptures here. But I just I again, I just love how scripture really does inform what our day to day worldview, what it should look like. I think it's very instructive to us. I love it. One scripture right at the top here, Proverbs 18, 19. I, I like how it says this and kind of draws uh, sort of the teams of what we're talking about and how disruptive offense can be. But in Proverbs 18, 19, it says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. This is a, a really great way that the proverb puts this, you know, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Let's start with that. As soon as you read that, can you not just visualize the tweet or the um, Instagram post or the Facebook? This this to me just reeks of a social media comment right here. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And I say a social media comment because I do find that things that people are willing to kind of spew out on social media, they actually probably wouldn't say um, to a person. So that's what I think of when I think of these. But unyielding is a strong city. Okay, this is, you know, Bible talk of they would have understood fortified cities and man, that was their stronghold. They felt safe and secure in their strong cities. And so it would, in their mind, this very much, it would have been an unyielding force. You cannot penetrate that wall. Their walls were just amazing. A brother offended is more unyielding than that city. They are not going to bend. They are not going to yield. When I think of this as it pertains to the social media world and when we comment on things, often and we've talked about this before on the podcast man if you're if you're tempted to comment man take a sec and just pray before you do that and make sure that is something that the lord would have you comment on in in that way i don't somebody can shoot me a comment or someone can shoot me an email if you have actually seen the a, a facebook or a some kind of social media comment uh, fiasco go well I just I don't think I've ever seen one. In fact, usually when you're reading it, it just feels like you're going down this rabbit hole of, you know, mire and disgust. People get ugly and you definitely see this offending that is unyielding. Nobody is is bending in those things. So that's what I think of when I see that. But the second part of the proverb says, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle, you know. When we are disputing with someone, when we're fighting with someone, and especially in this type of, I'm not seeing that there's a whole lot of grace in this argument that's probably, you know, being talked of here in this proverb. There is this trapped piece, you know, the bars of a castle. It kind of traps you. It puts you on the inside looking out, but you're you're kind of locked in. And whether it's you're locked in by the bars of your own making of, you know, nope, I am standing on this side of the wall and I will not bend, you know, just like the, the first part of the proverb that was just pointing to how unyielding we can be. So this proverb has just given us a picture, I think, of what being offended looks like. 
It looks like being unyielding and not bending. So no compromise there. But it also there's an element here that you're just sort of trapped by your own offense. I think 1 Corinthians gives us a a good perspective on some of the things that, and you can kind of insert your own word here for the thing that might be offensive or not. But I want to read 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I'm actually going to, no, I'm going to start in 23 and I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'll put the full scripture in the notes. You guys know where I went. But in 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 23, it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then he's going to go on and he's he's talking about his audience. His topic here is talking about uh, food that's been sacrificed to idols. So I do think we need to be careful in that. I don't think we can necessarily completely culturally and contextually just substitute anything we want in here because this he was speaking to a specific thing. But I, I think there's some good things that we can pull out of this for our context. So all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And he's talking about there's things that are out there, but they're not everything. Not everything's good for building up. Later down in verse 31, he says, so whether ever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then it just at the start of 11, seems like almost an unfortunate chapter break. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this is Paul talking. And I, what there's so many things in here, but he's he's reminding us that we whatever we do, early on or earlier in the passage it said everything's lawful, okay, so but not everything's helpful, not everything builds somebody up. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I do think there's a lot of things that we can can kind of look at this and go, man, is there something that I do that is offensive to someone else? I think an example you could go to on this as he's talking about the things that you eat or drink in particular here. You know, alcohol can be something that is very offensive to some. Now, why Why would that be? We know that it is not forbidden in the Bible anywhere that you are not to drink at all. Now, we know that it says you cannot be drunk with wine, but it doesn't say that you can't drink. So why would drinking, Why? how could that be an offense? Well, I mean, think about it. In our culture, alcohol is a real problem, right? It is It is something that trips a ton of people up. It is something that breaks up marriages. There is, uh, it, it's usually half the time behind abuse situations and uh, there's drunk driving accidents. I mean, there's all these things that alcohol has become in our culture sort of a, wow, not a good thing, not a good thing. So that can be an example of something that you just choose to not even partake in at all. Even at, even if you're not going to what we know is biblically not okay of drunkenness, you may choose to just not partake in it at all because you don't want it to offend someone else. If you if you have a friend that's maybe a new believer, but maybe they're a recovering alcoholic or something, and they show up at your house and you know there's all the wine and there's all the all the stuff that's going to be offensive. That's going to stumble another brother in Christ. As a parent, and now this is a little bit for me, I would not put this on everyone because I think everybody should pray through this kind of thing. But I've really thought about the alcohol thing as it pertains to the example that puts to my kids. I, I can think of folks that, you know, they didn't they didn't really think about how it would seem to their kids that it would be so casual to just be drinking wine. Now, again, not to drunkenness necessarily. However, it is, you know, nobody wakes up one morning and says, oh, you know what? I'm really aspiring that someday I'm going to be an alcoholic. It's just, it's something that progresses. And then before they know it, 
that's where they're at. So, but that's not for everyone. I'm not saying that. But I know for me, as I've thought about the model and what I want to teach my kids, I just don't want that to ever trip them up. You know, like Paul says, he says everything's lawful, but not everything is helpful or not everything builds up. And so when I think about alcohol in particular in our household, it does to me, it does not build my kids up to give that kind of example to them, even though I know it wouldn't be harmful for just that one drink. But the example that it has, particularly as how, how far culture has taken it and how dangerous it can be, it's something that I think we need to be careful about, about the model we give to our kids, something that could be. It's, it's lawful, but is it helpful? Does it build up? But I love his conclusion, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Man, that's where we want to be, right? We want to imitate Christ. So maybe that's the question we need to keep coming back to this when we go, man, are we offended? We need to come to, well, how is what I'm being offended? Is it or is it not furthering my imitation of Christ? So what are the things that offend God? Because there are things that offend God. What what should offend us and maybe what shouldn't offend us? Probably we should not be offended if somebody cuts us off that much, you know, in traffic. That should probably not be that big of a deal. Or maybe somebody that just fires off a real nasty comment on social media. Maybe we should just let that one go. But there's some things, there are things that offend God. And ultimately, I think we can look and see that all our sin is ultimately offensive to God. There's a couple places in scripture where we see this example, and one of them is David and Bathsheba. And when David is repenting of this sin, it his his comment is interesting because he said he says that he has sinned against Bathsheba. No, he doesn't say that. Against himself? He doesn't say that either. Now he had done both of those things. Uriah? Yeah, he'd sinned against Uriah big time. But he says, I have sinned against God. Our sin is an offense to God. Anything that we do, that's against God. Same thing um, I think of with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know, he 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 gets out of that little tricky situation where she's trying to seduce him and she's trying to get him to go down a path he should definitely not go. And instead of saying, why should I do this thing and sitting against Potiphar or against himself or against her, he says, why would I sin against God? See, again, it's our sin is an offense to God. So we know that ultimately that when, because our sin is so offensive and our holy God can't have anything to do with sin, that there ultimately was this beautiful plan of redemption for us that we would be able to have our sin covered and paid for and atoned for by Jesus's death on the cross. Truly, could anything have been more offensive that it it needed to have a death payment for it? I mean, that if you if you really think about it, that is how offensive our sin is. Jesus had to die in order for that sin to be covered for us to be reconciled to him. So I'd say that's a pretty big offense and a pretty big deal. But then I want to think just culturally when Jesus was in his ministry, how did he respond to things that would have been offended? Maybe these ones, this isn't necessarily um, our sin, although I think we see how Jesus is, was still offended by sin, and that's kind of where it comes down to. But I, I want to look at his response, because, of course, there are things that Jesus was offended by. Um, you can think of his uh, cleansing of the temple, right? I can. There's two places I can think of where it shows that Jesus got angry. Because I think there there's offense, and then there's like what we do with that offense. Like, what is our response to it? 
So in the two places where Jesus is angry, we see in the the cleansing of the temple, which is in a couple different places in the Gospels. And then there's another time in Mark where it says that he got angry and he was grieved at the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees. They wouldn't answer a question, but it says he, he was angry and grieved at their hardness. When Jesus was angry, the offense was the same. He was offended by sin. And what did he do with it? It does say he was angry. But what, what did he do with that? Well, now with the cleansing of the temple, we see that he had a actual response to that. I mean, he's turning over tables and he's dumping money out. And I mean, he is having a very outward response with that, with um, the other reference in Mark where it says that he was grieved. Both of them are situations where it's saying he definitely was angry. But what was motivating it? I think that's the thing we that marks Jesus, his response to the things that he's offended by. He doesn't you don't see that he's getting bitter by it. In fact, if anything, he's more motivated by his love for these people. The, the Pharisees that he was really, you know, having these hard words for, he died for them, just like he died for us. The, when he is cleansing the temple, what was motivating that was it's a zeal for his father's house. He had um, a, a love for the father. He wanted the house, the house of God to be preserved for prayer. And it was that zealousness for for that that was motivating it. Now, there's some things that were motivating for him. When you think about the things that motivate or, or that are we are offended by, what is motivating those? I'm just going to be honest, guys. It's not typically for me. I'm offended by my, you know, compassion for where there's, you know, the, the sin or whatever. No, it's usually my flesh reacting to, you know, how dare you? You know, how can you contradict me? How do you how come you cannot believe the way I believe? You know, we get offended by this. But my motivations are not nearly pure. Whereas Jesus's motivation he is completely different. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. I find that passage interesting because it does say that first part, it says, be angry. Oh, wait. So there's things we should be angry about. So going back to the earlier verse we talked about, about being imitators of Christ, then we want to go, okay, I want to imitate Christ. So I want to be angry about the things that God is angry about. And we know God is offended by sin. I also just want to note the frequency that we see these two areas where it says that Jesus was angry during his ministry. How many? Two. You could argue that some people argue that the the cleansing of the temple, there's actually two occurrences of that. So if you want to count that, then we're going to say three. Three times. So proportionally, if you want to look at all of scripture with all the things that Jesus did, the healing, the teaching, Exhorting people to good works and love and, you know, coming alongside their neighbor, loving God. Proportionally, his uh, three instant two, you know, arguably three instances of anger are is way less on the spectrum there, isn't it? Now, that's interesting to me because I don't know about you, but there are days that, you know, we could be angry two to three times before lunch, right? Because we just we can be angry about things. We can be offended by things so easily. I love Proverbs 19.11. I'll read that one. And I also I want to read a verse in James. But Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Boy, that's a great encouragement for us. It's good sense, it just says, to be slow to anger. 
This is that thing I'm talking about when you're real tempted to just fire off that comment real quick or just shoot that text back to someone when you're just real fired up about something. Take a second. Just really pray about that. Pray about your response. Pray about that person. Ask the spirit to to show you his perspective on this situation and maybe not your own. But give that a minute. Be slow to anger. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Boy, how many situations, confrontations, quarrelings, disputes that we face right now could James 1.19 solve. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That one's hard. Probably the hardest part for that for me is the quick to hear. Because soon as we hear that somebody is going to debate a certain topic that maybe we really have a strong opinion about, we're actually already formulating what our argument is back to that person. Often. Often I find oh, I'm not even I'm not even listening necessarily to all the details or maybe their perspective with that same level of, you know, just wanting to learn. Like I want to understand your perspective. No, I'm sitting over here thinking about, OK, here's what I need to say. And no, nope, they're wrong about this. And, you know, you just kind of start developing your argument. But James is saying, oh, no, no, no. Be quick to hear. I always love who, who I don't know who said this, but they that they point out that uh, there's a reason the Lord gave us two ears and uh, one mouth that, again, if we want to go back to ratios and proportions, we should be doing double the listening than we should the talking. That's probably a good word for me. And it's probably for all of us just to keep this in mind that we need to be listening to where people are coming from. Being quick to hear, quick to listen, but slow to speak. And then I think the next next one, when it says slow to be angry, that's probably going to be almost just a natural byproduct of first hearing and really listening to the person and then being slow to speak. And then you'll probably find yourself less angry. It's kind of a cool formula there. A couple other things that I think are encouraging as far as what Jesus's response was to his offense. And I think this definitely box at the whole cultural thing about, man, everything's got to be fair and everything's got to be good. And, you know, that 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 we they so are angry about injustice and all of those things. But goodness, when you look at the life of Jesus, do you see much fairness in how he was treated? Let's keep in mind, this is Jesus, the son of God that came and died for our sin. If anyone deserved to have the red carpet laid out and have everything just perfectly, you know, given and gracious and accommodating, it would have been Jesus. And yet that was not how he was treated. Remember in the Gospels when it talks about that when he even came into his hometown of Nazareth and how he was just not received there at all. They didn't want to hear it. Even among his own family, there's several different places in the Gospels that talk about his brothers and they, they kind of thought he was crazy. They're like, eh, I don't know about you. So and it, those are interesting as a couple of those, his, his brothers would later write Gospels, Jude and then also uh, James. But that isn't how that relationship started. They thought they thought Jesus was crazy. So Jesus was not treated fairly. There was nothing fair about a perfect son of God coming to die for a sinful man. I mean, let's just even back up before we even get to the crucifixion. There's nothing fair about God having to become human. Gross, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's not a little step down. That's a giant step down that we could never fathom that a perfect God would step down so low as to become human. Kind of the worst thing possible. 
But then mark what Jesus's response was to how he was treated. We know when we read in the gospel accounts of when he was put on trial, you know, he, he just didn't stand up there and defend himself. He didn't get all incredulous at them that, you know, who do you think you are? You know, uh, do you not know that I created you? He never said that. He could have. He could have, but he doesn't. In fact, he says very few words at all. Some of the gospels don't even account him speaking at all, but then the ones that they do, it's just he gives some very simple answers, but he's not mad. He's not yelling. I think he's definitely following that quick to hear, slow to speak, and he's just not angry. He's motivated instead by love, which is which is amazing. And again, there's no sense of fairness there. None. First Peter 2.23 says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I think that is one of the, the things that I think we get really skewed about when we get caught up in things that offend us. And I think it's because we aren't doing this thing that Jesus is doing where he is entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was entrusting himself to the Father. He was entrusting himself to the perfect plan and will of the Father. And definitely, he's got this heavenly mindset of what, what's coming here. Not focusing on that, on the current situation that is offensive, that's reviling him, that's actually physically harming him even. He still doesn't return their actions in kind. He doesn't do that. A couple Old Testament examples that I think are interesting that I, I just was reflecting on as I was going to talk about this, but one of them is in Second Samuel 16. And I want to read to you this little story here of David and uh, a situation he had and how he reacted to this. Because when, when my modern eyes read this, I just think that, oh, there's so much injustice here. But it's in Second Samuel 16. And in verse five, it says, when King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Okay, so this is a picture in our modern term. This is a very nasty post, okay? This is a very mean text. This is a very mean tweet that he is cursing David and throwing stones at him, I might add. Then Abishai, which was one of King David's mighty men, he said, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So he, he, comes, he comes down hard on somebody who's coming to his defense and saying, you know, no, wait, wait, we don't want to do this. And then he goes on, he says, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall I say, who have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with the good for his cursing today. 
several things in this story. We see where David is being cursed. He's being treated badly. Uh, the story, the backstory here is that his son is taking over the throne and he's being, you know, cast out here, basically. And uh, so things are not good on the home front. So David's already down. Okay. So kicking him when he's down and Shimei comes and he curses him. He's throwing rocks at him. David's men want to come and defend him. And he says, no, no, let this be. But I love his perspective at the end when he says, it may be that the Lord will look on this and what has been done and the Lord will repay for the cursing that's been done on this day. I think what's tucked in there is kind of this perspective we need to think about when we are being offended, when someone is coming at us and they're cursing and they're maybe not hopefully throwing physical rocks, but they're throwing some stones and we're getting hurt. To look at that and go, what is the perspective that the Lord has on this? And and submitting to the fact that the Lord will take care of this. That passage in First Peter that I read, it was saying that, but he, Jesus was continuing to entrust himself to him who judges justly. If we look for justice here, we're going to be real disappointed, right? I mean, we're, we're just, it's not going to work out because we're all a bunch of sinners that, yes, even when we're at our best, we are hopefully striving for that justice, but that's only going to come out of the good works that, that Jesus prepares for us, that he enables us to do, but not out of our own flesh for sure. So, so much better to be in that situation where we are being cursed at, where we are being offended by whatever is there to instead say, you know what, let's just let the Lord take care of this. That's what, that's what the response is. That's what Peter's pointing out that Jesus did, that he just was entrusting to the one who judges justly. We don't judge justly here. We just don't. And, and I, it's just not going to happen on this earth. But we can trust that the Lord is going to just, uh, judge justly. The problem is, is we, we like for things to be a much quicker response, don't we? <laughs> we would really like this to all be resolved in, you know, a, a brief 20 minute episode. That's just not, that's not eternity, is it though? I love the passage in Luke 6, in uh, Luke six twenty seven. It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. That's a tall order, isn't it? That's a real tall order. These are Jesus's words here in Luke, and he's, he's reminding us to love your enemies. Pointing out here, he's saying that we will have enemies. Okay, that might not be something, would we rather just not, right? We would just love to be at peace and everybody get along and, you know, it would just be great, right? But Jesus says that we'll have enemies. He's pointing that out right here. But he says, love them. Do good to those who even hate you. That's a strong word. Why is this so hard for us, though? It's so hard for us to have somebody that hates us, to just let them go. I wonder what our attitude should be in this current climate where things seem so offensive. We're offended if somebody wears a mask. We're offended if they don't wear a mask. We're offended if you get the vaccine. We're offended if you don't get the vaccine. Everything just seems to be a hot topic now. It really is. And it just doesn't seem like there are there is seems to be much middle ground. There's very little respect for both sides. There's they just want to be they just want to be offended. I was talking to a friend the other day and she said something and I wrote it down because I loved it so much. And she said, we can choose to not be offended. Has that occurred to us? With the things that make us mad and the things that fire us up, 
do you stop and think that we actually could just choose to just not be offended? Just don't. How would we do that? That seems impossible, right? In Hebrews 12, too, I love this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That phrase right there, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. There's choice in there. Jesus chose to set his eyes on the joy before him and endure the cross, despising the shame. But he, he chose that. And you're like, well, that's super. We're not, we're not Jesus. We can't do that. But can we, though? Here's how I think we do it. Okay. Well, and we'll end with this. But in Colossians 3, says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I think that's our secret sauce right there. We have been, we, our sins, our flesh, all of that stuff, that, that's, been, that's been buried with Christ. And what has been risen with Christ is this new self. And he's telling us that we can being hidden in Christ by his strength, not our own, because, yeah, we're going to want to like we're going to want to say that thing. But by his strength, we can make the choice to just not be offended. We can make the choice to set our mind on the things that are above, not getting justice as we define it here in this earth, but setting our minds on things that are above. A lot of good scriptures here for us to kind of mull on. The next time something comes your way that just leaves you a little up in arms and maybe you have that, you know, you want to get offended. Just hang on a second. Go back to Colossians 3 and, and just read that. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of earth. Look to Jesus, your our sin that's been hidden in him. And just in, by his strength, be able to be quick to hear slow to listen, slow to be angry, slow to be offended. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.